Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Murder and Misery, our true crime podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Heather, and I know absolutely nothing about true crime. And my name is Jillian, and I consider myself somewhat of a true crime expert. Yes, Jill is our resident true crime expert. And we created this podcast so that Jill could teach me about all things true crime, both locally and nationally, and to take you guys along for the journey, so that if you too know nothing about true crime, you can learn something. Or maybe hear another perspective about stories you already know. Okay. So before we get started, this case mentions brutal crime against children, as well as mentions sexual assault against children, and it's graphic. Listener discretion is advised. This case begins on May 5th of 1993 in Memphis, Arkansas, which I actually just got back from Memphis. So, oh, like West Memphis? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in. Well, I went through West Memphis. Yeah, me too. On my way back from vacation. Yeah. So that's why I was. That's why I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, I didn't know. I guess it's like Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. Probably. I didn't know that Memphis. I guess there's like um. I love that you said Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri, when you could have said St. Louis <laughs> and East it, St. Louis. True. <laughs> true. But you picked the other side you know, of the state. I guess there's a lot. I should have just realized that was a thing, but I knew that, like, it was like that with Mississippi. Because when I looked up Memphis, some of the hotels were, like, Memphis, but they said Mississippi. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was a Memphis in Mississippi. I really hope there is. And Memphis is just taking over. Now I'm, like, questioning, because I didn't look that up. Tri-state city. I didn't look that one up. So, um, so this day was warm, and the sun was shining, and three children... Chris Byers, Stevie Branch, and Michael Moore, who were all eight years old at the time, decided to ride their bikes around town. Around 8 p.m. that night, the West Memphis Police Department got a call from John Byers, who was Chris's dad. John said his son was missing, and they haven't seen him since around 5.30 that evening when he was working in the yard. Soon after this, the parents of Michael and Stevie also called the police about their missing children. Michael's mom, Dana, said she last saw Michael riding on his bike with Chris and Stevie, and this was around 6 p.m. But when it came time for dinner, Michael still hadn't returned. Pamela, who was Stevie's mom, said that she hadn't seen her son since he left for school that morning. And I'm pretty sure it was, like, back then, you know, it was like, once the streetlights come on, you better be home type of situation. That was my role, too. Yeah. So I think that's kind of when everybody started like panicking when it was still sundown and they weren't there. Well, and dinner. You'd think they'd be hungry. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Soon once the news got out that there were three kids missing, a search party formed. They searched four acres of woodlands near Interstate 40, where it was said the kids would play sometimes. Unfortunately, they were unable to find any sign of the boys and the search was called off for that night. The next morning on May 6th, Gary Glitchell, who was the chief inspector at the time, said that he was taking over the search party for the boys. That afternoon, Steve Jones, who was a police officer, found black tennis shoes floating in a water ditch near Robin Hood Hills, which is the woodland area that they had searched prior. Less than 20 minutes after they found the tennis shoes, they unfortunately pulled out the body of a child from the water and immediately marked off the scene and turned it into a crime scene. Shortly after, they found the other two bodies of the boys. All of the boys were 
unclothed and hogtied with shoelaces. And this is very graphic, so... Skip forward if you need to, I guess. Yeah. Um, the body of Chris Byers was found with his scrotum gone and his genitals had been skinned. What? Eight. He's eight. What on earth? Yeah. So, the boy's remains were taken in for investigation. And keep in mind, like we had mentioned in previous episodes, this was towards the later end of the Satanic Panic, which was in the main 80s. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it was still a thing. And rumors started circulating, speculating that it was a ritualistic sacrifice. While rumors were spreading rampant, the investigators on the case didn't put them to rest and actually made them worse by saying that it was possible that they were connected with a satanic cult. Hmm. They even assigned the boy's case number as 93-05-0-666, which is yeah. the mark of the beast. Literally, why would you do that? Well, and it's like, you don't know anything about it, so... Yeah. Why are you, like, giving in to the... It doesn't make any sense to me. But the next day, a 17- or 18-year-old said different things, named Damien Eccles. I hope I'm saying that right. Eccles was interviewed by detectives regarding the murders. Damien was already being monitored because he had quite the history of being a troublemaker. He had dropped out of high school and it is alleged that he threatened his ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend, and even his own father. He dressed goth, he wrote dark poems, he had a tattoo, had evil tattooed on his knuckles, and practiced Wicca. He also liked to read Stephen King, which I didn't think was a big deal, but yeah, they I made it a say, huge deal. They literally sell those books in the store right now. Right. Yeah. So... so but he also had a history of psychiatric problems and at one point was admitted into a psychiatric ward under a suicide watch. He also spent a little time in juvie where he assaulted a fellow prisoner by biting him in the arm and he said he tried to suck his blood like a vampire. Okay, so some of these things are concerning to me. Yes. But just not specifically reading Stephen King novels because I think a lot of people read those because otherwise they wouldn't sell them. Right. Yeah. Just to be clear. I, Violence is not cool. No, but this... But reading a Stephen King novel doesn't make you crazy. I'm not sure why they focused on that. Maybe, I mean, I don't know the story yet, but I don't even know if he's involved. But maybe they were thinking he was, like, imitating some things out of Stephen King's novels or something. Yeah. Maybe that's why they made it a big deal. Well, anyway. I would have picked Twilight from the last part, but obviously that well, got him sent. <laughs> I've actually never read a novel by Stephen King, but I'm... He might have some vampire stuff. Honestly, I haven't either. I need, well, we should probably stop talking about Stephen King then. <laughs> we don't know what's in his books. we don't know. <laughs> I've seen his movies. But um, obviously the whole situation got him put back in the psych ward. And once he was released and sent home, he was under regular supervision from a social worker who said that Damien said himself he might become another Charles Manson or Ted Bundy. Okay. Yes, and this is what initially led detectives to suspect that he may have something to do with it. Yeah. Because he obviously was in the area. 
Police interrogated Damien three times, and each time he said he'd never heard of the boys and even said that whoever killed them was obviously sick. His alibi was that he was at home with his mom and he was on the phone with two girlfriends. I don't know if, like, how my grandma says girlfriends, girlfriends, like her friends, mm-hmm. or if it was like he had two girlfriends, girlfriends, but two girlfriends. They asked Damien to take a polygraph test, which he agreed, and the test concluded that Damien was deceptive, meaning he did not tell the truth. Okay. At the time, police also started looking into Damien's friend, Jason Baldwin, who had matching evil hand finger tattoos. Okay. Um, Jason said that he had nothing to do with the murder of these boys, but police really didn't believe either of them, but they didn't really have proof. I'm unsure about Jason, but Damien had a pretty tight tight alibi, and I don't think they were able to use a polygraph as solid evidence. So the case kind of came to a standstill until a girl named Vicki Hutchinson said that she wanted to help detectives or play detective. Play detective? Yeah. Okay. She said that she was going to try to get information from Damien, and she thought she could do this because her neighbor, whose name was Jesse Miss Kelly was friends with Damien, and Vicky said that Jesse had said how Damien would drink blood and stuff. Of course, the police um, department... Yeah. I'm frightened by that. Well, I know that he bit that kid and tried to do that, but, like, this drinking cup of blood... First off, where did you get it? I mean, like... Frightened. Who knows if he actually did, because it is noted that Jesse had a intellectual disability of course the police department decided that they were going to go through this and set set it up or i guess had her set it up she said that she set it up by telling jesse that she wanted to meet damien under the guise that jesse was interested in going out with him really doesn't sound like they mic'd her up or anything like that i don't think they did I knew they had that technology in the 90s. Yeah. So that so makes... why would you not? Exactly. I mean, how can we trust this girl? We're, we're just going with it, apparently. Uh, so this is her recollection, what she said, her story. She said that when they met on May 19th, her and Jesse went with Damien, who was driving his red Ford Escort, which he didn't have a car, but to an... <laughs> exactly. To an Espit which is basically a coven meeting of people who practice paganism. The espit was in a field, and she said that there were, like, ten young people who painted their face and their arms black. Listener discretion is advised, especially if there's children. There should not be children listening to this, but she said... We mark these explicit on purpose. Yes, she said that they then all got naked and started having an orgy. Oh, that Vicky said this made her uncomfortable, as it would, I feel, most people. And she asked Damien to leave, so he took her home, leaving Jesse there. Vicky's eight-year-old son, Aaron, who was friends with the boys who were murdered, said, told police that they were playing in the Robin Hood woods one day, and they saw five men yelling stuff and doing, quote, what men and ladies do. Which would okay, you know. He's an eight-year-old. Yeah, don't think that would be. I just feel like an eight-year-old wouldn't even know that. Yeah, that's my thoughts. But after both stories were heard, they administered a polygraph to Vicky, which deemed that she was telling the truth about those night's events. Interesting. 
The next day, they brought Jesse in for questioning and told him there was a $35,000 reward for information leading to the closure of the case and that he could get the money or his family could get the money. Like we said, Jesse had a intellectual disability. So Jesse said that they didn't have anything to do with satanic rituals or the murders, but police basically told him that he was lying. And so they interrogated him harshly for hours. And I hope he had a lawyer present. No. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that law enforcement really do not be law enforcement. They are, they are lacking, um, you know, and they allegedly repeated, repeatedly refused to believe his statement. And they showed Jesse a circle diagram and like told him that like, oh, if you're in the circle, here's where the killers are inside the circle. But you can be outside of the circle with the police. It's just so inappropriate if, if he's known to have an intellectual disability for them to be interrogating him without someone there to support him. Yeah, well, there was no mentions of it. And I I really think that they obviously did not. But I can't say 100% they didn't have anybody there with him. Yeah, I know, obviously, we've made strides towards being better to people with disabilities. But I'm just irritated. Yeah, well, they also played that Aaron kid who said that they apparently, like, played an audio tape with, like, spookies of, like, him saying stuff about that night to try and, like, freak Jesse out. Um, you know, and Jesse eventually was just saying things that they wanted him to say, but they were getting mad at him because he wasn't saying correct things Yeah, that added up with the storyline. So this is one quote from Jesse. It says, quote, I kept telling, and the detective inspector guy, I didn't know who did it, I just knew of it, what my friends had told me, but they kept hollering at me. They kept saying they knew I had something to do with it because other people told them after I told them what the three boys were wearing. Gary Glitchell, the inspector, told me, was any of them tied up? That's when I went along with him. I repeated what he told me. I said, yes, they were tied up. He asked, what were they tied up with? I told him, a rope. He got mad at me. He told me, I don't say this word, but gee, dang it, Jesse, don't mess with me. He said, quote, no, they was tied up with shoestrings. I had to go through the story again until I got it right. They hollered at me until I got it right. So whatever he was telling me, I just started telling him back. But I figured something was wrong because if I'd killed him, I'd know how I'd done it. End quote. Eventually. That's so sad. Yeah. That's awful. That's why I don't think anybody was in the room because I don't think anybody would let that yeah happen if they were there advocating for yeah. him he deserved to have somebody in his corner i feel terrible that that happened yeah well they taped the correct in their eyes correct confession and ended up with the story that jason jesse and damien went into the robin hood woods and that jesse saw damien hit chris byers in the head with a fist and then jason hit steve and then Jesse grabbed Michael because he started to run away and then he held Michael until the other boys got there and then he came back a couple minutes later and he said the boys were tied up and naked and they were cutting them and 
Jason and Damien started sexually assaulting them. And that's when Jesse said that he ran home. Remember that. Because shortly after this confession, the deputy prosecutor got search warrants for Damien, Jason, and Jesse's house. And they were all three arrested and charged with three counts of capital murder on June 3rd of 1993. During an interview to announce the charges, lead investigator said that he was extremely confident in this case. And somebody was like, well... I just go from 1 to 10. How confident are you that you got the right people that this, whatever. He said he was an 11. I just go from 1 to 10. I'm just so, I'm still very irritated by the fact that they harassed this man mm-hmm. with an intellectual disability. Yeah. I I mean, I'm mad when they harass anybody, but like I'm extra mad that right. he literally couldn't even stick up for himself in the same way that you or I could. Right. And like he even tried and they literally yelled at him like that should not be allowed like to happen. I feel like they just wanted an easy out. Right. And they were like, well, we we can make him do it because everybody knew that he had an intellectual disability, which is awful. Right. And like he apparently, he had babysat Vicky's kids and like <laughs> they just threw him into all of it. And they actually, speaking of Vicky, after they got the search, after the press interview or whatever, and they charged him, charged all of them. They interviewed that kid Aaron again mm-hmm. because they wanted to like secure like the case. You know, mm-hmm. obviously confident about it. Again, well, listen, I don't know what he said this time, but they should also be asking why an eight year old knows what it looks like when an men eight. and ladies do the things that they do or whatever. He eight. said we need to know why he knows what that is. Yeah, well, this time he said that. He was actually in the woods with the three boys and witnessed their murders. Okay. He said that they were all there because Jesse, like I said, babysat him, had called Aaron and invited him and his friends to the woods to do stuff. And they, Aaron said that once they got there, Jesse, Jason, and Damien slapped, quote, slapped his friends and then... That made Aaron run, and then Jesse caught Aaron running, and they, he got away again, and then they tied him up, and then he said he stayed there for uh, less than a minute, and then got untied, and then they asked how he was tied up, and he said he was tied up with a rope, and Aaron said, quote, they couldn't hurt me because I kicked every one of them with a foot, end quote. Anyway, then he said his friend got stabbed and they got their clothes pulled off. And then Aaron said that, quote, they cut off the private spot, end quote. Um, And then he said that Aaron said that he saw, and I will quote this as he said it. He watched the three teens, quote, quote, raped Michael, Chris, and Steve, end quote. Which, I don't, I mean. Totally different story than last time. Is a very different story from last time. And it sounds like they solely went off of the new information that came out once Jesse confessed. Yeah. So. I just will also like to say that I had an eight-year-old student. He told me that he didn't get good sleep the night before because he was mowing the lawn even though the ground was covered in snow. And then another day, he told me that that morning he woke up early and his parents took him to a four-wheeler race 
and he got to race his four-wheeler, and he won first place before he got to school that day. Uh, wow. So I'm just saying, like, sometimes. <laughs> and he's very convincing. Like, if he would have... If he would have told me that he didn't sleep good because he was mowing the lawn on any day that there would have been grass to mow, I probably would have genuinely been concerned. Yeah. But I was like, this doesn't make sense. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, he was very good at telling me stories. Well, and I feel like, I mean, obviously, you know, like some kids, I mean, we, we've talked about before how we've had friends that just lie to lie. Yeah. You know, everybody has them, but. Well, he just tells stories. Like. Right. He's just a kid. Like, he has a a vast imagination, which I think can be a gift, but probably not to law enforcement. Well, I, I genuinely feel like this wasn't necessarily, because I don't think, it doesn't sound like a kid making up a story of seeing his friends sexually assaulted. It sounds like a mother mm-hmm. who was feeding I'm stories. the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, so I don't want to put, I mean, the kid was eight years old. I don't want to put any blame on him but i will be putting blame oh on i'm not mother. blaming him by any means right. i don't think that my student i don't think there's anything wrong with him eight-year-olds make up stories right you live in your imagination so i mean he probably didn't have a hard time telling stories because he probably told other stories all the time you know yeah and i feel like and his mom was like this is what you say right yeah but yeah i don't think that again he shouldn't even know about any of that right that's so what how would like... he describe it if he didn't you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So How could he not describe. How could he even talk about it? Well, and, and use like those use the words. Right terminology. Yeah. yeah. So. So, after that, pretrial began, and on August fourth of nineteen ninety three, Judge Burnett decided that Jesse should be tried separately from Damien and Jason, and the state of Arkansas decided that they couldn't use Jesse's confession tape. Because it was obvious that he was coerced into saying these things. Oh, it was? From the state. From the state. We don't like the judge. But from the state. And also they decided that all three of them should be tried as an adult. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. On January 18th of 1994, Jesse's trial began. And basically there wasn't a whole lot because his confession was garbage. So they tried to say that the reason his confession didn't make sense was because he was trying to twist the narrative to where he didn't sound like such a horrible person because he was involved. No, no. The investigators were trying to twist the narrative. Into him being involved in the first place. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's what his attorney was like. No, he was coerced and basically held against his will until he confessed to committing a crime. Yeah. The parents of Chris Byers, Stevie Branch, and Michael Moore gave their testimonies. And they were going to have Aaron Hutchinson come to the stand, but decided not to. That was the eight-year-old. And instead just had his mom, Vicky, come up, where she recapped how she played detective and how she loved the boys and wanted to see their killers caught. And her story changed a little bit than initially how she had told it. But she did have to make it known from the stand that she did not come forward with her story solely for the $35,000 reward money, even though, from what it sounds like, she got the reward money. Oh. Because <laughs> remember, they had told Jesse, oh, like, come talk to us because your family can have $35,000 if you tell us what happened. 
He obviously did not get it. Sounds like she did, but I can't confirm that. But like I said, there was almost no evidence connecting the boys until the state crime lab. I will not be able to pronounce her last name, but Lisa Skaviskis, who testified that green polyester fiber was found on a Cub Scout cap of one of the boys and how it was, quote, microscopically similar to fibers found on a shirt in Damien's house and that a red round fiber found near the bodies was also, quote, microscopically similar to the fibers of a red bathrobe found in Jesse's home. Lisa said that the results did not imply either the shirt or the bathrobe was worn by the murderers at the crime scene, but it was possible that the fibers were carried to the crime scene via quote, secondary transfer on... I know that they use that, but, okay, I guess it makes more sense that he could take it to the crime scene via transfer, but I don't know why anybody would be wearing a bathrobe while they were murdering somebody. Yeah, well, she also said that many fibers could be microscopically similar to each other, and that basically her discovery proved absolutely nothing. Oh, she said that? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Then why state it? I think they were grasping at straws. Okay. So they also found a book called Never on a Broomstick in Damien's house, which they used to support the ideology of occult killing. The rest of Jesse's trial was spent deciding if his confession was valid or not, considering the methods and Jesse's intellectual disability. The jury convicted Jesse guilty of first-degree murder on all three counts. They did? Mm-hmm. And they sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Really? Two weeks later. Yeah. So his was two weeks before Damien and Jason's started. But he had already been convicted when they started. So I feel like at this point they're just like... Yeah. Well, there's no way that he's going to get convicted. Not then, I and, feel like. Yeah. And even in his quote-unquote confession, he didn't kill anybody exactly and he still got convicted so first degree murder yeah not even like accomplice right so yeah i I feel like if i was um those other two boys i would not be feeling hot right now i'd be feeling scared yeah well two weeks later their trial started and jesse decided that he wasn't going to testify which kind of ruined the state's whole case so they decided to try and tie jane Damien to witchcraft, which they were hoping would... Why would they expect somebody that you just convicted of murder wrongfully to testify for you? I really think that they just like were... Why would I do you a favor if you just ruined my life when I did nothing wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, continue on. I don't know. I just... The people in this case. Anyway, so... They were trying to tie Damien to witchcraft. They were hoping that it would, like, help the case. But during the trial, Jason's attorney, whose name was Paul Ford, said, quote, Jason is not a troublemaker. He took care of his two younger brothers, getting them to bed and in the morning when their mom was still asleep because she'd been up late. It's Jason who has the obligation of getting himself up, getting his brothers up, getting everybody dressed and fed to catch the bus to go to school. That's the kind of person Jason Baldwin is. He said, you'll see 
that the evidence they have has been twisted and manipulated and distorted in order to make the pieces of the puzzle they want to fit together. The pieces of the puzzle they want to build to fit together. And you'll see that from their own witnesses. Lastly, you will see from their own witnesses evidence that will show that Jason Baldwin is innocent. Damien, Damien's lawyer said, quote, He's not the all-American boy. He's kind of weird. He's not the same as you and I might be, but I think you'll also see that there is simply no evidence that he murdered these kids, end quote. Basically, their entire case was just them arguing how Damien was strange and practiced witchcraft and read stuff and poems and read Stephen King. Yeah, and they had mentioned, they had like a person come in who was like a specialist in cults or whatever. And he said that the night the three boys were murdered, it was a full moon. And how three, which is the number of boys, is a super special number in Satanism. And it had like a cult, uh, the cult guy basically just say how all these things tie into Satanism. And it was apparent that the boys were murdered because of a cult ritual saying that they had to have done it because, oh, they're tied in with a cult. Oh, this murder obviously was an occult thing, even though they had a police officer who specialized in, like, cult crimes come in and say that he doesn't see sexual abuse like that in cult crimes. That just yeah. doesn't happen. So, at this point, they do get a little more serious. There was a medical examiner that said that the genital mutilation happened while Chris was still alive. What? And that Michael had water in his lungs, indicating they were alive at the time of being put in the water. Oh my gosh. The examiner also noted that none of the boys were strangled or sexually assaulted or tied up with ropes, which directly goes against what Jesse's confession had said. I'm sorry, what? S say that again. Uh, the medical examiner said what? None of the three boys were strangled or sexually assaulted or tied up with rope, which went directly against Jesse's confession. Okay, because they were tied up with shoestrings. Yes, and okay. they had said, and even Aaron had said how they were sexually assaulted. None of them had been sexually That's assaulted. Right. Another big discovery was a knife found in a lake behind Damien's house that matched the wounds on Chris Byers. It was it was a serrated knife, but they also noted that there was another knife that had a serrated blade that also matched the one uh, the wounds that belonged to Chris's stepfather. Next, a new witness appeared, and this was Michael Carson. He was a 16-year-old who was in jail with Jason, and he said and testified that Jason told him and admitted to the crime. He said that Jason said he quote dismembered the kids and sucked the blood from the penis and scrotum and put the balls in his mouth, end quote. Which doesn't add up. But um, Michael said that to the jurors that he came forward with his story months after this conversation that they had because he had seen on TV about the case and he was so sad for the parents of the boys and that he was soft hearted and like couldn't take holding in this information. And like they're not dismembered. Yeah. 
So I just, I don't even know why they even let that come into play into the case. But I think, I mean, I feel like they probably found him and they were like, hey, we'll pay you money to say something or bad about your sentence. this guy. They yeah. do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after that. We'll give you something, you know. So short, not shortly, but after Jason's witness, two more witnesses appeared, and this time for Damien. Jody Medford and Christy Van Winkle said that they overheard Damien at a distance with Jody saying it was 25 feet away, how Damien said he killed the three little boys before he turned himself in, that he was going to kill two more, and he already had one of them picked out while they were at a softball game. Their testimony goes straight against what Damien's mom, Pam, said, because from what she said, they were home together all night, the night of the murders. Yeah, but... Well... I just feel like almost every mom would say what they needed to say. True, but what I don't understand, and maybe they did, I just didn't see it. I'm not saying that he did it. I'm just saying, like, honestly, I don't know that I would trust a mother's testimony. I feel like... Moms have instincts to protect their kids. Like, God gave us instincts to protect our children. And I feel like almost any mom would do what they had to do. That is true. I'm just, this was the 90s. I don't, I assume this was a thing. But if he said he was on the phone. On the phone, yeah. Couldn't they pull phone records? Like, I know they're a thing. girlfriends. Right. Or talk to the girls. Yeah. And maybe they did. But I just didn't read anything about it. But when Damien came to the stand, and they didn't have Jason go to the stand because, honestly, Jason's lawyers was basically just like, Damien's kind of like the head honcho of this in the court's eyes. So, like, let's try to not put as much attention on you. So just let him go on the stand by himself. So, basically, he said, Damien said that he wasn't a Satanist and he didn't believe in anything like that. He's just a Wiccan, which means that he's closely involved with nature. And when they asked him how he felt about being charged, he said, quote, sometimes angry, sometimes sad, sometimes scared, end quote. The next day. I feel like those are very reasonable emotions. Oh, right. Yeah. I don't know if they're true, but. The next day, Damien and Jason were convicted of capital murder on three accounts Jason was sentenced to life in prison without the opportunity of parole, while Damien was sentenced to die by lethal injection. My gosh. Mm Mm-hmm. So there have been multiple, many, many, many films made about this. One in particular being released in March of 2000. It's called Paradise Lost Two Revelations. And this painted John Byer, which was Chris's dad or stepfather, I can't remember, as the true killer. In 2003, Vicky, you know, good old Vicky, mm-hmm. said that she lied about her testimony. We already knew that. <laughs> she said it was because she felt that her son was going to be taken away if she didn't cooperate with the police. Which, I don't know her reasonings behind that. But I feel like getting, coercing your son into saying these things about traumatic incidences would only put the spotlight more on you. Yeah. So... I mean, we've had weird people do weird things before, so. Yeah. Well, in 2007, DNA from the crime scene was tested. After a lot of, like, hubbub, controversial stuff, they finally tested it, 
and they found a hair. Okay. And the hair was inside one of the knots. Okay. Of the shoelaces. So the hair didn't match Jason, Damien, or Jesse's. Okay. But they said that it could be Terry Hobbs, who is Stevie's stepfather. So I think... Could be? How? Why can't we know? I don't know. It was like... It was... There was a statistic where it could be like... It could be his or it could be like 1% of the population's... Matches okay, the same okay. thing. This was in 2007, so I don't think they really had it to a science yet. But at this point, John Byers said that he didn't think the boys did it. However, the judge and their case didn't care about the DNA evidence because they were trying to get a retrial, and he didn't care. He didn't want to do it. Really? So, yeah. So they took it to the Supreme Court, who granted a retrial on November 4th of 2010. They offered the three boys an Alfred plea, which we've talked about before, which is basically like, you know, plead guilty, but they're innocent. But, you know, there's evidence to convict you, but that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but the conditions were they would only be able to take the Alfred plea if all three of the boys took it. And according to Damien, who wrote a book about his experience, Jesse liked prison. He did. He had a job there. He was friends with the guards. He was not on death row like Damien was. You know. Okay. One released in 2012 strongly suggested that Terry Hobbs, the stepfather of Stevie, was the I one. I thought it was this. I thought the knife and the person who had been accused before was the stepfather of Chris. It was the father of Chris. I got the stepfather and the father mixed up. Okay. But it so was like. We, I mean, originally, obviously, they thought it was these three boys. Then they thought it was the father of Chris, and now they think it's the stepfather of Stevie? There's so much just back and forth of this whole thing. And, you know, honestly, like, about Terry Hobbs, that could be an entirely separate episode about everything that they they found. Okay. But he's still not convicted. Nobody's been convicted of the murder of these three boys. Well. I mean, well... I'm sorry, they were convicted, but nobody's, the true yeah. killers have not been convicted, um, though it is mostly believed that Stevie's stepfather, yes, along with like his friends, and like there was people that came forward with like, and it was just, it's just a whole thing. Um, I recommend anybody that wants to know more about that. The documentary filmed in 2012 called West of Memphis. Yes, if you would like, because they really do, like, go into, it was, like, I mean, him and, like, his DNA and all that stuff. Um, And he was, like, seen at a laundromat after that, after the killings, which doesn't really look that good. But, yes, but as far as that, no further arrests have been made in the murders of Stevie, Michael, and Christopher, though the the stepfather has been mostly, people mostly think that he did it. Like, even his family members have said, like, oh, it's a family secret, like, he did it. But, again, no convictions. Can't be like, oh, like, he did it, because hopefully, like, one day he gets convicted. It's a family secret that he did it. Yeah. You're a terrible person if you know that he did that and you are keeping his secret. Like, Well, they said that they were told 
it was like three kids or teenagers or whatever who said that the nephew of Terry Hobbs said that he did kill Terry and that it was a family secret. Or not that he did kill Terry. The f- that Terry did kill the three boys and that it was a family secret. It's just, if it's a family secret and his family knows, they're terrible people. Oh, for sure. Like, like you need to be honest. Like, people need closure. Don't be a jerk about it. Just, like, if you know, tell the truth. Well, and um, Terry still says, as early as, or as late as 2019, he still says that he believes in his heart that Jesse, Jason, and, and Damien are responsible for what happened to the children. Which... I don't know. I'm going to watch the movie and I mean, there was like a lot of stuff about it and um yeah, so I didn't I want to watch the movie though and like then put my opinions out there, but from what a lot of people do believe that Terry Hobbs is the one that did it. Um however, now Damien lives in Salem, Massachusetts, which I think is very fitting, especially if he's I was going to say uh, uh practices Wicca, but he has a wife, Lori, and he, he I mean, to Salem, Massachusetts. I just want to go there sometime. I don't know why, but that just feels like a movie. Like, that doesn't feel real. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did lose 20 years of his life in oh, the prison 100%. system. Oh, 100%. And so I just think he, it's, like, obviously, I don't think that that should have happened to him. Right. I just think it's humorous that he chose to move to Salem, Massachusetts when yeah. this entire thing happened because he was accused of witchcraft. Well, and I'm just like, you know, you he did lose 20 years of his life, and it's like, you go live I'm your dream. I'm shocked that he didn't get, like, killed earlier than that. Yeah. Because he was sentenced to the injection. Mm-hmm. I know that that takes a while, but still, 20 years, that's a long time to be able to skate by. I don't, I don't know how to say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. and Like, um, he's lucky that he lived long enough for them to find out that he didn't do it you know what i mean right well and like there's a whole whole uproar on tiktok about the death penalty Mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's one of those things where i'm very on the fence about because you have situations like this where Mm -hmm. we have killed people before that are innocent and then found found out out later that Mm -hmm. it actually was somebody else right and we we did kill them Mm -hmm. and they did not deserve it right and so that's like where it's like, okay, like, this does happen. But then at the same time, i seen people in the comments of these videos that were like, oh my gosh, because, like, one of the last meals was a birthday cake. Because he didn't get a birthday cake while he was in prison. He murdered six people and sexually assaulted who knows how many. I, I'm not sad that he didn't get a birthday cake in prison. Like, I think there's a fine line between, oh, like, you know, I feel like these people should rot in jail for forever versus, oh, but like, you know, like, don't you feel, no, I don't feel bad for them. Like, I don't feel bad that he was in prison. He deserved to be in prison for the rest of his life. It is hard because we have made mistakes Mm -hmm. and I don't think anybody wants to make the mistake of wrongfully killing somebody because we all have a heart. Right. But there are people out there that are especially evil and have no interest in changing their ways. Right. If you tell me that you're not sorry, then I'm not sorry for you. Right. But if you were 15 and you regret doing it mm-hmm. and you want to work towards having a better life, then I think you should have the opportunity. For sure. And I but know- also, if you try to trick 
your psychologist people in the prison, like, you're losing my trust. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, like, I feel like you have to be working towards being better. Obviously, we're only talking about, like, serious crimes. Like, drug charges and all that stuff. Not even in this conversation. Yes. I don't know. But, anyway, uh, Jesse, he really hasn't said anything, like, He's been pretty low profile. Well, good. He finally gets to choose silence like he wanted to the first time. Right. Yeah. And I I hope he... I actually hope all of them are doing well. Yeah, me too. Jason lives in Austin, Texas, and he founded a nonprofit group called Proclaim Justice, which advocates for victims of wrongful convictions. That makes sense. Yes. And... doing that, Jason. Another thing that I wanted to mention... So, fun fact for the Stranger Things fans, which I'm sure you already know about this, but uh, Eddie Munson, who is in Stranger Things Season 4, was loosely based off of Damien. Um, and the last thing that I do want to add is that I know that a lot of this was talking about, you know, Jason, Damien, and Jesse, but I do not want that to take away from... Chris Byers, Stevie Branch, and Michael Moore, who did lose their lives. And I know we keep talking about, oh, well, this doesn't add up, this doesn't add up. I feel like this is truly six people who lost all of their life or lost a majority of their life to being wrongly convicted. And it is sad on all accounts. And I I know that there's a lot of speculation about family members and all of that. And... um. But that doesn't take away from the brutality of what happened to these eight-year-old boys. Mm-hmm. And it is a true tragedy. And I know we usually don't get that deep into just the suspects of it. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of times I refer to it as the three boys. But, you know, they do have names. They are a part of the story. And it is such a tragic loss. And I just, I can't even imagine Especially knowing the brutality of what happened to them. So, yeah. And it seems like their families were really attentive and caring. And I can't even imagine losing your child, but then also finding out what happened to them. That would be horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that was today's episode. Um, like I said, the whole Terry Hobbs thing could be an entirely different episode. I don't know if we ever want to get into that, but I recommend, you know, watching the documentary because that's what I'm going to do. There was just, there was a lot. Literally whole other, uh, other episode. I mean, I'm curious, but I don't know if I'll watch the documentary or not just because, like I said, I'm quite busy this uh, time of year. Heather started her new job. I started my new job. I'm Yay! So <laughs> but it makes me busy, so I don't have time for documentaries, which is why I haven't finished Stranger Things. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of, if you do, since we're getting into spooky season have any stories that you would like to submit you can real or fake what do you mean real or fake real stories or fake stories like people make up fake stories yeah people do that all the time well don't do that for us unless it's like believable well believable yeah but like just spooky stories well i i was thinking like hometown like you saw a ghost or whatever you know we could tell our bigfoot story (laughs) okay (laughs) no but um if you have any like stories like that true only apparently well i would like them to be true not like spreading fake news out here i just think it's for telling a good story you know what i mean like i thought the purpose was just to tell a good story 
I didn't realize that the purpose was to be factual. I mean... Because also, are we being factual talking about Bigfoot? I don't know. Well, no, we're just but telling... did we see him? Yes. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and maybe we'll tell that story. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but if you have any, we might just do an entire episode um, and, like, read read your stories. And always, 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 if you have any, like, hometown stories or, you know, things you were involved in and you ever want us to just, like, read your case, just shoot us an email. Or if you're local and you want to come on. Yeah, we have three microphones. Um... <laughs> We have three microphones. You can send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or our email is murderandmisery@gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure that you're following us on social media. And if you want to, you can still purchase some of our merchandise. And we will be back together next week with another episode. Hey, bye. Bye.